This morning, we're continuing in our series called First Things First, um, which we kicked off a few weeks ago, in which we're taking a closer look at our lives, we're examining them, and we're seeing how we can make God's priorities our priorities in 2018. And as we're moving into 2018, into this new year together, one of the things I've been doing is looking back a little bit at 2017. And I want to acknowledge this morning that 2017 was a year of, of great loss for a lot of people in this church and in this community. A lot of people lost loved ones, um, lost friends, and lost family members. And we hosted a number of funerals here at the church, and many of you um, celebrated the legacies of loved ones last year. And you're continuing to try to live out those legacies. And this morning, that's really what I want to talk with you about is this big idea of legacy and legacies, and particularly your legacy, the legacy that you're one day going to leave behind for others. And as a pastor, um, as you can imagine, I go to a lot of funerals. And funerals, sometimes I'm officiating them, sometimes I'm just there in memory of a loved one or supporting friends or family who's lost a loved one. And funerals are a lot like weddings in the sense that they vary greatly depending on the person, on their family, their background, their culture. And so I've been to some funerals where everybody's dressed up in robes and we sing Amazing Grace on the pipe organ. And I've been to funerals where uh, we're dressed kind of casually and Bon Jovi is played at the graveside service. They, They vary greatly. And, you know, at each funeral, though, typically there's a eulogy. And eulogies are, if you're not aware, those are words of remembrance that are offered up about the the one who's recently passed away. And eulogies vary greatly as well. And I've, I've heard some eulogies that made me want to live a life just like that person. And they've made me say, you know what, I don't even know them, but I wish I knew them and I wish my life was like them. You know, then there's other eulogies that actually make me kind of sad. Because people, friends, family members, pastors try to say significant things about the person and actually a lot of times they don't have much to say. Or the things they say is that they had a great golf handicap or that they they poured all their heart and their energy into their jobs or other things that just kind of pale in the midst of death. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about legacy. Because at these funerals, oftentimes after I hear a eulogy, I ask myself, what will people say at my funeral? And then I think, what do I want people to say at my funeral about me? And I don't know if you've ever thought about those questions. What will people say about you at your funeral? And what would you want people to say about you? at your funeral. And I know for some of you, that might feel a little dark, but the reality is, is that we are not promised tomorrow. And so this morning, I want to share with you how you can live a life, a life that in the end, other people say, wow, I wish I had lived a life like theirs. A life in which when you step into eternity, you hear Jesus say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
I want to share with you how you can leave a great and a lasting and a God-honoring legacy. And to help us discover how we can do that, I want us to look at some words from the Apostle Paul, particularly in the book of Ephesians. And now, if you're familiar with Paul, you kind of know his life story. And Paul, for a lot of his life, would have had a really awkward Christian funeral because Paul actually went around persecuting Christians. He went around dragging them from house to house, and he actually oversaw the killing of many Christians. But, thanks be to God and His great grace, one day Paul had a radical encounter with God, and he met Jesus in a supernatural way on the road to Damascus. And after that encounter, everything in his life changed. And he moved from someone who was boldly persecuting the church to someone who was actively preaching and teaching and planting churches all over Europe and all over Asia. And so this is Paul's story. And Paul had really one overarching message, which we find in Ephesians chapter 2. And here is a summary of Paul's message. He says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is what Paul, after he had an encounter with Jesus, he dedicated his life to, proclaiming that we are saved by God's grace. And we receive that grace into our lives by having faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And he said, look, that's the first step. That's how we can know that we will spend eternity with God. But it doesn't stop there. Paul also, in his message, continually said to people, we're saved from sin and death, but we're saved for the purpose of doing good works in this world, of sharing the love of Jesus Christ with all people. And Paul, in his letters, you'll see these themes come up over and over again. And as he's writing to the church in Ephesus... He's writing to people who, like him, have moved from darkness to light, who've moved from sin to salvation, who have moved from living as unwise people in the world to living as wise people. And in this letter, Paul gives them the key to leaving a lasting legacy, the key to living a life that honors God, a life worthy of imitation. And in Ephesians 5, chapter 15, you'll find this in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. This is what Paul says. He says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here and throughout this letter, he sets up these contrasts about how we're called to live as Christians. As people of the light, he says, look, live as people who are not foolish, but who are doing the Lord's will. He says, look, don't get drunk and be filled with that stuff. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Don't take part in debauchery. Instead, take part in worship. Earlier in this letter, he says, look, don't take any part in sexual immorality. Instead, live a life of purity. Don't hold grudges. Forgive people. Don't slander people or be discouraging to people. Instead, be encouraging and lift people up. Paul sets up these contrasts of how we're to live as Christians, to live as people of the light. And in verse 16, he gives us the key of how we can do that. And he says this, Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If you're taking notes, you can underline that. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now here he's not saying that God created days or God created evil or anything like that. He's simply naming the reality, right? That around us there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of brokenness in our world. And he's saying in the midst of that, you are to make the most of every opportunity. And this is an interesting phrase, and different Bibles translate it differently. We're reading from the New International Version. But the English Standard Version says this, Make the best use of the time. The King James Version says this, Redeem the time. I like the message. It says this, Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Make the most of every chance you get. And now this is great wisdom, right? And if you and I lived this way, if we lived out this verse, if we made the most of every chance that we get in life, if we sought to love God and love other people with every opportunity, then guess what? We would leave an amazing legacy for others to follow. But the reality is it's very difficult to make the most of every opportunity. Because if your life is anything like the lives of other people in this room, a lot of you, you wake up, you figure out breakfast, you make your coffee, you rush off to work, you go to work, you respond to other people's crises, then you eat lunch, and then you respond to emails that you don't want to respond to, then you get home, you wonder what's for dinner, and then you forget about dinner, and you go to sports practice, and then you go to church, then you go to a meeting, then you go to a meeting at church, then you come home, finally eat dinner, then you squeeze in an episode of Netflix, and then you go to bed, and you do it over again. Is that anybody's life? And when you're living a life like that, it's very difficult to make the most of every opportunity because we're so, so busy. And what we tell ourselves is that, is that one day things will change and that one day we'll live until we're 85 and in retirement, then things are going to get a lot less busy. But I'll speak on the behalf of the retired people here. When you're retired, it's not like you get all this bulk of time and that you're making the most of every opportunity suddenly. A lot of times you're actually just as busy and you're doing different things. Making the most of every opportunity is very difficult in our world today. But fortunately, Moses gives us some wisdoms, wisdom in the Psalms. And in Psalm 90, verse 12, he tells us this. He says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, when we realize our days are limited, then we limit what we do with our days. And what we do with our days is ultimately what we do with our life. But even this can be hard, right? 
even thinking of making the most of every day is difficult because our days are packed full of stuff. And so I want to drill it down a level deeper this morning. Because if you think about it, each of us has a hundred... Make sure y'all can see over here. Each of us has 168 hours in the week. And then if we subtract sleep from that, can we say eight hours of sleep? Who, who, here, gets, who here gets eight hours of sleep? Anybody? Okay, we're going to actually, the average American gets eight hours of sleep. That's kind of crazy. But eight hours of sleep, so then that's 56 so if we subtract 56 from 168, what does that give us? Quickly, quickly. All right, y'all are good, y'all are good, 112. It gives us 112 hours each week. And now let's just say this. If you open up your bulletin and you were to go to every activity in there, you go to the women's meeting, you're coming to PPI on Wednesday night, you spent your time in prayer, maybe you're serving here and all this different stuff. If you did everything you could do at this church, Let's just say that's probably a maximum of 12 hours a week. So let's subtract 12 from this. And that comes to a total of 100 hours. 100 hours that we have each week to make the most of. And what I think Paul wants us to see, what Moses wants us to see, ultimately what God wants us to see this morning is that every hour is an opportunity to honor God. Every hour is an opportunity to honor God. And I believe that if each of us began viewing every hour of our day as an opportunity to honor God, then ultimately our hours would change. And as our hours changed, our days would change. As our days changed, our years would change. As our years changed, our lives would change. And as our lives changed, ultimately, our legacies would change as well. And they would be God-honoring. They would be legacies that last and that people want to imitate. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about these 100 hours. And if you want to look at your 100 hours and figure out how you're spending them and if they're honoring to God, the easiest way I know how to do that is to simply open up your calendar. Anybody in here still keep a paper calendar? God bless y'all. Anybody here do digital? All right, God bless y'all. Anybody here don't keep a calendar? Yeah, that's okay too. It's all right, it's all right. But if you had a calendar, you can do it in your mind or you can actually pull out your actual calendar. If you open it up, you can actually begin to look at how you spend your 100 hours. And if you open up and you begin looking at how you spend the 100 hours God has given you every week, what I think you'll find is that you'll probably need to make some changes in your calendar, if it's anything like mine. And the first thing I think you'll notice is that you probably need to subtract or remove some things from your calendar if every hour is really an opportunity to honor God. I don't have good whiteboard handwriting. That's a subtraction sign. <laughs> this week, some of you all know I'm kind of a techie person. I got an email from this app that I have on my laptop. And this app 
records everything I do on my laptop, every website I visit, all the time I spend on my laptop, and it analyzes it. And now, my laptop is not my primary computer. I have other computers, and I have a phone as well. This is just my laptop, and it gave me my year-end review this year, right? Which is amazing. Everybody wants to see how much time they spend on their computer. And so this year, on my laptop, it told me that I spent 545 hours on it, which is the equivalent of five weeks of my life. So I spent five weeks of my life on this laptop, and then it broke down and it told me what I was doing on the laptop. And it said that I spent 33 hours on social networking sites, 38 hours on news or media or entertainment sites, and 25 hours shopping on that laptop. I like to shop. That's, that's the truth. You can ask Emily. I like to shop. 25 hours shopping. You know what that adds up to? That adds up to 96 hours. 96 hours of my life. One week was spent doing that kind of stuff. That's just my laptop. It's not my phone or my desktop computer. And so I've realized that I've got to subtract. I've got to remove some things from my life, from my calendar, if every opportunity, every hour is an opportunity to honor God. And look, some of those hours, they probably were honoring to God. But I'm guessing that most of them weren't. And so I want you to think about this morning, if you had an app or a program that was tracking all of the TV you watched, all of the things you did on your phone, all of the time you spent on the computer, what would it reveal about you? It's kind of scary, right? And I'm not saying here that that watching TV or spending time on your phone or computer is all a terrible thing. But I'm just saying that if every week when a new show comes out on Netflix, you watch it for 17 hours straight, or you're just staying up every night, hour after hour, checking in on Facebook and seeing what's going on, there's better ways to use your time. And so you might consider removing things from your calendar to free up those hours. But for a lot of us, when we look at our calendars, it's actually not that kind of stuff that's filling them. For a lot of us, it's work, right? And if we're spending all of our hours during the day at work and all of our hours in the evening at work, then we don't have time to spend honoring God by loving our family and loving our spouses, loving our friends and our neighbors. So there's some things we might need to remove. A lot of us think of our life in terms of priorities, the things that are most important, but we also need to think of the opposite. We also need to think what in our life, what are those things that aren't priorities? What are those things that don't need our attention, that aren't important, that we need to remove? And in 2018, I just want to give you permission to not do them and to remove them so you can free up that time for other things that might honor God more. And once you have some of these hours removed from your calendar, then you can actually add in other things which are honoring to God. Because what you'll discover is when you remove some of that stuff, then you have time to do things like love the people who are right around you, that God has placed in your circle of influence. For some of you, most of you, that's your family in your household. That's your parents. That's your siblings. That's your spouse. Moving beyond that, it's also our literal neighbors, like we talked about last fall. God wants us to love those people right around us. God wants us to love our community. And some of us need to add in some hours serving other people, moving 
beyond ourselves. But when you look at your calendar too, this is kind of counterintuitive, but some of us actually need to add hours of rest and margin in our lives. Because when we look at the Bible, especially in Genesis and the creation accounts, we see that God worked for six days and God rested on the seventh. And that pattern has been set in creation and that's a pattern for us as well, to work and to rest. To work and to rest. And so if you don't have hours of rest and of margin, you might want to include those because those hours are ultimately honoring to God. So I want you to consider subtracting some things, adding some things. But then finally, I want you to consider inviting God into some of the things on your calendar. Because when you look at all the hours you spend in your day, you're going to realize a lot of your hours are spent doing mundane things. Like going to the grocery store, making lunches, and commuting. Who here commutes? Anybody commute a long way? God bless you. Anybody here make lunch or dinner every day for their family? Who here does the grocery shopping? These things, oftentimes, we feel like they're, they're time wasters. Or we ask ourselves, how could that honor God? But if we begin inviting God into those things, I think He can transform that time. Before you go to the grocery store, if you go and you ask God, Hey God, instead of this being some obligation I have to do, would you open up my eyes to people who are in need around me, to people who need your love. Will you help me be joy in the midst of so much dullness in this world? Or when you're on your commute, instead of listening to talk radio all day and just getting your blood pressure higher and higher and higher, what if you began listening to some podcasts of sermons or of devotionals? Or what if you began spending time in prayer or listening to the Bible on your commute and inviting God into that time? What if when you were packing that lunch each day or you were making dinner, you began to invite God into that time and you began to pray for the people who you were making the meal for? There are lots of different ways that we can invite God into our lives. And those ways help honor God with every hour that we have. And for a lot of us, like I said, most of our hours are spent at work or in school. And God wants to be in those places as well. I mean, think about what it would be like if you began inviting God into your workday each day or into your school, into your classroom. If you began saying, God, would you help me to live as a missionary in this space and to share your love with my classmates, with my coworkers, and with my boss? What if you began viewing that time as time that God has given you to do meaningful work and to share his love with other people? What if you began to think, maybe God has put me here on purpose for a purpose? Well, I think that those hours might be transformed. They might begin to honor God. And as your hours change, your days will change, and as your days change, Ultimately, what you'll find is that your life will change. 
This weekend, as many of you know, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend. We celebrate that holiday tomorrow. And so yesterday, Emily and I went to Atlanta downtown to the newish um, Center for Civil and Human Rights. We hadn't been there. It's right near the aquarium. And there at the museum, they have some great exhibits which tell the stories of the thousands of people who took part in the civil rights movement. And the exhibits largely focus on Atlanta and the South. And they tell the stories of these people who said, you know what, every person is made in the image of God. And because of that, I want to honor that image of God and I want to fight for justice. And, you know, a lot of times when we're reading history and we're going to museums like this, it's easy for us to think that, that these people live some kind of wildly different lives than ours or that they're larger than life. But as I've been reflecting on it, what I've realized is that these people really aren't that different from you and me. These people each had 100 hours from God each week. The difference is that with every hour, they sought to be faithful. They sought to be faithful and to honor God, not only in the small things in their life, but also the big things. And God wants us to do the same. And one of those people who honored God with a lot of his time was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And many of you know Dr. King was a, a preacher as well as an activist. And in the bottom of the museum there, they have some manuscripts and handwriting notes of some of his different sermons. And there they have the handwritten manuscript of the final sermon he gave at Ebenezer Baptist Church in 1968, just two months before his assassination. And this sermon, the conclusion of it, was ultimately played over the loudspeaker at his funeral. And so this morning, as we close, I want to close by reading the conclusion of that sermon and sharing it with you as we reflect on the types of legacies that we want to leave. Dr. King writes this. Every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about that day we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something we call death. We all think about it. And every now and then I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral. And I don't think of it in a morbid sense. Every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want said? And I leave that word to you this morning. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. Instead, I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. 
I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian ought, if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the Master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us to not waste our lives. Help us to not fill our lives with trivial things. Help us to not fill our lives with stuff that does not honor you. But God, instead, by the power of your Holy Spirit and your grace at work within us, help us to fill our lives with things that are honoring to you. Help us to see every hour as an opportunity to honor you. God, we solemnly recognize this morning that tomorrow is not promised to any of us. But you have given us the hours of today. And so God, in the big things, in the small things, in the exciting things, and in the mundane things, Help us to invite you in. Help us to honor you and to ultimately live lives worthy of imitation. Lives that imitate your son, Jesus Christ. Lives that leave a legacy that will be lasting. Amen.